Jesus often used parables as a teaching tool in his ministry. It was a common practice among rabbis in the first century. Each story carried layers of meaning for the listener. In today's reading of Luke 15, the prodigal son ends a series of three parables used to teach the grumbling Pharisees and scribes. What were their complaints? How does this story help us understand what God is doing in the world through Jesus? What does this story mean for us as modern listeners? Join Pastor Jason Schiller for this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church. Let's pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds and bodies to the recreating power of your word, that we may see the world through the mind of Christ and live in the world as a foretaste of your new creation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, 18 through 21. It's called Rebellious Children. Listen carefully. Now if someone has a constantly, consistently stubborn and rebellious child who refuses to listen to their mother and father, even when the parents discipline him, he won't listen to them, His mother and father should take the son before the elders of that city at its gates. Then they will inform the city's elders, this son of ours is constantly stubborn and rebellious, refusing to listen to us. What's more, he's wild and a drunkard. Then all the people of the town will stone him until he dies. Remove such evil from your community All Israel will hear this and be afraid. And it's okay if you're afraid too. Our second reading this morning is Psalm 32, and this is an instruction of David. Those whose wrongdoing is forgiven, whose sin is covered over, is truly happy. The one the Lord doesn't consider guilty, in whose spirit there is no dishonesty, that one is truly happy. When I kept quiet, my bones wore out. I was groaning all day long, every day, every night. Because your hand was heavy upon me, my energy was sapped as if in a summer drought. So I admitted my sin to you. I didn't conceal my guilt. I'll confess my sins to the Lord, is what I said. Then you remove the guilt of my sin. That's why all the faithful should pray to you during troubled times, so that a great flood of water won't reach them. You are my secret hideout. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of rescue. I instruct you and teach you about the direction you should go. I'll advise you and keep my eye on you. Don't be like some senseless horse or mule whose movement must be controlled with a bit and bridle. Don't be anything like that. The pain of the wicked is severe, but faithful love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. You are righteous. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All whose heart are right, sing out in joy. Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Verses 1 through 3, and then 11 through 32. 
This is a story you will have heard, I'm sure, many times. All of the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a faraway land. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up some uh, his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? But I'm starving to death. I will get up and I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer deserving to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his, father said, and then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting. Because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he received his son back safe and sound. When the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instructions, yet you've never given me as so much as a young goat and that I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, the son returns, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. So I'm curious, when you were a student, how many of you found it easy to memorize long lists of dates and events in like a history class? Was that anyone's bread and butter? A couple people, some people have an easy time with that. But I think most people, that's probably something you dreaded the most, having to recall dates of things that, when you were a kid, didn't really matter. 
Do you really care when the Declaration of Independence was ratified? I don't remember when that was. I can Google it now. I can find all that info. But we have trouble remembering things when they're presented in lists and dates and things like that. The people of Jesus' times were the same way. So Jesus used the favorite teaching tool of rabbis. Jesus told stories. Parables are stories that are made up to convey a message or a moral or a truth to people who are listening. And parables are memorable. We remember them. Might not be able to say it word for word, but you can probably sum up the prodigal son. We remember these things. That's why so many parables are recorded in the New Testament, because people remembered them. So Jesus is, this comes in a kind of string of parables, but Jesus is with tax collectors and sinners. Now tax collectors are pulled out of just the general sinners because they were so despised by the Jewish people. These would have been fellow Jews who were working for the temple and the state to collect taxes. Now, not in the sense that we send our money to the IRS. Tax collectors got rich by padding the bill. So a tax collector would say, well, you owe this much, but it's going to cost you this much. And if they didn't pay it, they would report them and they'd be sent to prison. So tax collectors were especially despised because they were people who were working against their own people. Sinners is just the general catch-all for everybody else that the religious leaders thought were horrible and outside of God. But these are the people Jesus hung around with the most. Over and over again, we hear of Jesus ministering to, eating with sinners, tax collectors, those deemed unclean by the Pharisees. And it was their biggest complaint against him. So Jesus tries to teach the Pharisees an important truth. The parable of the prodigal son is something we can probably connect with on some level, but it meant a lot more to those who are hearing Jesus say it. Because so many things were happening here. First, you have a wealthy family. Wealth was, was accumulated in farmland and herds. That's how you gained wealth back then. You have two sons. Up until this week when I was reading an article about this, I mistakenly thought that the entire estate was due to the older son. Not true. It would have been split. 66% to 33%. Two-thirds to one-third. The older son was due two-thirds of the estate. The younger son, one-third of the estate. The older son was going to have to take care of his parents. So he was given more. But that wasn't going to happen until the father died. 
So when the young son, who got tired of being at the family farm, doing everything the father and brother said, knowing that that farm would never be under his control, goes to his father and basically says, Look, I can't hold out any longer, and apparently you don't want to die, so give me my third now. I want it now. I'm not waiting anymore. How could the father have responded? What did our Deuteronomy reading say? That father, according to the law, could have taken that son to the elders, to the gate of the city, and had him stoned to death. But that's not what the father did. As Jesus is telling the stories, I imagine the Pharisees listening to this, thinking like, yeah, drag this kid to the city gates and do what you must. He's disobedient and he's not salvageable. Jesus throws a wrench into it, though. Because after the son is given his part of the inheritance and leaves the farm, he squanders it. He finds himself in a foreign country, not a Jewish country. We know that from the pigs being present. And he loans himself out to work for a Gentile. It does not get any worse than that if you are a Jewish man. You are now unclean in every sense of the word. You're unclean by working with Gentiles. You are unclean by being in a foreign Gentile land. You are unclean by working with pigs. You would have been unwelcome in Jewish life. And he's desperate. And he says, look, I can either die here or I can take my chances with my dad and maybe I die there. But he's been compassionate and maybe he'll at least let me be a hired hand. So he goes home. And I'm sure as the Pharisees listen to it this time, they're like, finally the father's going to do what he should have done the first time after he squandered his part of the inheritance and he's going to drag this disobedient kid to the elders and to the city gates and have him stoned. He is irredeemable. But Jesus again throws a wrench into the system. That's not how the father responded. In fact, how the father responded was so unbecoming an elder Jewish man he ran out to meet him. Older Jewish men did not run. There was no marathon or 5K for Jewish elders in Jesus' time. They did not run. It was unbecoming of them. He ran out. He grabbed this unclean son and brought him in and embraced him, making him unclean. He gives him this place of honor, a robe, a ring of belonging, of sonship, sandals for his hard, calloused feet. And he says, we must celebrate. You're back. You were dead and you're alive. 
you were lost and you're found again. Jesus could have ended the story there at verse 24. He could have kind of got the meaning to that point to the Pharisees. But he adds another element, the older son. The older son is not happy about this. The older son does not want to celebrate his brother's return. The older son feels robbed. Not because the younger son got his due of the inheritance. That was going to be his anyways. No, he felt robbed because of the celebration that was happening. That should have been his celebration. He's been the dutiful son. He has been the one there day in and day out obeying the father. That celebration should have been offered to him. He should be celebrated, not this younger brother who squandered everything and who defiled himself in a foreign land. So finally, when he would not join the celebration, and he finally tells his father how he feels, the father responds, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive, He was lost and is found. If you want to label the people in this story, the older brother is the Pharisees. The younger brother are those people the Pharisees call tax collectors and sinners. The father is God. I think one of the biggest impacts that sin, the separation between us and God has on humanity is it makes our minds small. We have lost our ability to be truly creative, to be expansive in our thoughts, to interact with the infinite nature of God. We lost that ability when we stopped walking with God in the garden, when sin entered. And we started looking at everything in a finite way. That's what the older brother is doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They looked at everything in terms of a pie. And they have this slice of the pie. And if this dirty Gentile or dirty, unclean Jewish person comes back in, well, they got to give up part of their piece of the pie. And they don't want to do that. We're the same way. We view everything like that in this finite way of a pie that we have our piece of and we're not going to give it up to anybody else. We do that with power and influence. We do it with food. We do it with everything. What this story is meant to teach us is that with God... It is not a finite pie. And to bring others in, you are not giving up anything. In fact, the infinite nature of God and being a part of God's family means that when more come in, 
everyone experiences more. The pie is limitless. And all can come in. The Pharisees couldn't see that. They were so wrapped up in the system of Judaism of that day, they had lost sight of what God set up with Moses at Mount Sinai. They viewed themselves as righteous, deserving, and belonging, and they viewed anyone else as unredeemable, as less than, as worthless, as suitable for death. Jesus came to say, no. No one is irredeemable. No one is lost forever. No one is unworthy because God made them worthy. Righteousness does not come through doing it all right. It does not come from keeping all the rules. It does not come through the law. Righteousness comes from God and God alone. It is God that makes us righteous. It is God that brings us in and makes us belong. It is God that gives us an inheritance. We were each the younger son. We have each been the older brother. We have each been the father. As we think about this story in Jesus' teaching, we need to rely on God to renew our minds, to open them to the infinite, to take them out of the tiny box we create and imagine something greater. A place where all can come and belong. Where we all experience abundance over and over again. Where those that our society and culture deems irredeemable, we say no. God has made them of infinite worth. God has poured out Abundant, unending love, forgiveness, mercy. And God calls them each back with celebration. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 